The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 139. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Discovery episode, first season Discovery episode, Despite Yourself. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy. Uh, Folks, please be sure to share the podcast with all your Trekkie friends to help us grow this community of listeners and reach reach more people. Uh, You've been doing such a great job so far, and we just hope that you continue to do that. Our podcast has been growing by leaps and bounds, and we uh, love the fact that we can have this enjoyable discussion with a larger community. So thank you. So we are talking about the first season's mid-season premiere, I guess is how they they called it. Right. The first season, if you recall, back in 2017, 2018, it was split in half, and there was a gap, I think, from November to January 7th when this was released. Yep. And uh, so the second half of the first season was really, a lot of people just call it the Mirror Universe season. I mean, it's almost a season mm-hmm. in itself with the discovery. And that's kind of spoilers. In fact, as we discuss this, I want to kind of talk about what we learned at the end of the season in relation to how it reframes this episode and what the different characters do. Because I think I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion to have. We talked about this first season, if you guys recall, we talked about this first season of Discovery way back in... in well, and, and we did it as kind of a broad brush overview. I mean, exactly. we didn't do it as episode by episode like this. Right. And, you know, I, th- I think, I recall, we, you know, we had mentioned basically it's the second half. And I, I know this is held by a lot of people in kind of the yep. Star Trek community. The second half is where Discovery kind of gets its footing and yes. improves dramatically off of the first half of the first season. Still had a ways to go, but it yeah. was so much better. I'll be interested when they start having behind-the-scenes books written about the production of Discovery, which, mm-hmm. as far as I know, haven't really been written yet. But, you know, originally the it was under the helm of one showrunner mm-hmm. who then left partway through production on the first season and new showrunners came in. And what I wonder is how much of the second half of the season was pre-planned by the first showrunner, and how much was actually new. I could see arguments going either way that, oh, no, this had to be pre-planned. They never would have been able to put together the rest, you know, in that short amount of time. Or, and so the changes the second showrunners made were more cosmetic rather than surgical. Mm. But then I could also see, hey, this is Star Trek, where we have ridiculous cost overruns. And... (laughs) uh, Maybe uh, maybe they were more substantial. Well, and, I, and I, I seem to recall that when all this, when Discovery, of course, when Discovery was being produced, the first season was being produced, 
Brian Fuller was the original showrunner, and then Alex Kurtman was brought in later. Of course, Alex Kurtman's still kind of the head of Star Trek Productions for CBS now. And there was so much talk about just uproar on the set, and things weren't working right. And part of the reason why they had the mid-season break, which they didn't do with Discovery Season 2, was because of this change of people. The retooling, yeah. The retooling of the, the ep- of the series. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how much did they ever originally plan to go to the mirror universe, well, or was that something that got thrown in later? They always planned to go to the mirror universe. That was in there from the beginning. And you can tell because Lorca's yeah. using his eye drops in the first episode. Right. But originally, they were going to do it in episode four or five, not this is 10. Oh, really? Yeah. But hmm. they decided that would be too early because we wouldn't, by the fourth or fifth episode, we wouldn't even know the prime characters very well. So mm-hmm. the contrast wouldn't mean anything to us, but, you know, between them and the, the mirror universe characters. You got to get to yeah. know your characters before the contrast, you know, feels like anything. Yeah, you got to know Cadet Tilly before you meet Captain Killy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, well, another thing to mention about this is that it was directed by Jonathan Frakes, which is his mm-hmm. first Trek directing since 1995's Voyager uh, episode Prototype. So this, so almost 20 years he had gone by since he directed uh, anything for Star Trek. So it's interesting that he came in to do this one. And uh, according to the actors. He really brought something. To, like He wasn't just a director. He really brought a Trek sensibility to this. And I wonder how much that carried through in the seasons, because he he apparently told, you know, taught them a lot about what it means to be a Trek crew and that, that right. cohesiveness. Like you didn't get, especially in that first half of the first season, and, and especially not to the second season, really, a sense of them as a crew. You had a bunch of characters. You had, you know, Burnham, of course, and Saru at odds, and you had Tilly who is nice, and Stamets, who's kind of at odds. And and then the, the rest of the bridge crew, you really didn't get to know them at all. The second right. season, you really start yeah, to get to know there's them. there's that lady with the eye, and there's <laughs> that <laughs> other person with the haircut. And, and, well, yeah. there's Owo, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm terrible with names, so I, I won't try to do it. But yeah, but you do get to know them. They get a little bit more to do still not yeah but it's it not they're, they're still not as well established as the bridge crew from the original series that's true mm-hmm. yeah there's no yeah, like who's sulu is who Chekhov and uhura and scotty like there is still a, a ways to go with that yeah that's true i wonder if, if part of that though is a weakness of the smaller seasons yeah i mean of course the, the weakness of this first season is they really the, the bridge crew were dressing Half the yes. people on the bridge, I don't think you ever heard their name until that first episode of second season where Pike is going around saying, okay, names, let's go, roll call. Right, right. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beyond that, it, you know, but also the fact that it was a shorter season. These are shorter seasons than what the TOS did. So, you, you know, you look at three TOS seasons as equivalent of six Discovery seasons. Right. But again, the first season doesn't help the matters either, though. I think it's also the fact that we're dealing with story arcs here, because Mm -hmm. since we have a continuing season-long arc, there are certain characters that are going to be important to that arc, stretching from episode to episode, and they're going to suck up more of the attention. Whereas if this were more episodic storytelling, you'd tend to rely on just who's on the bridge right now and what Mm -hmm. role can they perform. Right. That's true. So let's... Let's get into this episode, and we'll talk about some of the things that happened, you know, some of the bigger, arky sort of things that happen as we go. 
where we left off at the end of the last season, they had jumped away from the battle with the death, the sarcophagus ship, the Klingon sarcophagus ship. They were going to jump to Starbase 45. Lorca had done something with the navigation, and they end up here in the middle of this battle, this graveyard of ships, you know, the, the pieces mm-hmm. of ships where a battle had taken place. And there is like a ridiculous amount of debris around the Discovery. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. Guys, yeah. this is space. You know why it's called space? Because there's lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's lots of space there. And yeah. to have something this densely packed and just plop your ship right in the middle of it and not immediately start deflectoring it away and move out. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, it, it's re- n- implausible. It is. It is. Well, it's just like that, that, you know, the asteroid belts that are so densely packed that you can't, you know, <laughs> you, have to you can't fly go through them without with, hitting one, yeah. you know. Like you're flying through a Beggar's Canyon shooting womp rats. Uh, so <laughs> bullseyeing womp rats. Yeah, bullseye. Yeah. Thank you. Lorca does a creditable job of pretending to be confused, uh, you know, given that we know that he knows exactly what's going on here. Uh, right. So he he is really walking it up to the line yeah. because, you know, we have uh, so initially Vulcans attack them, Vulcan rebels, yep. and then they they get um, some assist from a ship called the Cooper that flies in and helps them out. And is it kind of like in sort of not friendly, friendly competition with them for mm-hmm. exterminating rebels. Yeah. And later, when the Cooper comes back, they demand to speak with the captain of the Discovery. And Lorca's about to sit down in the chair and talk to them when we get Burnham saying, no, belay that phaser order. <laughs> and yes. you're not the captain. I've just checked the records, and uh, it's actually Tilly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm going like, was Lorca really planning on sitting down there and, and pretending to be the captain when he knows he's a galactic fugitive in this universe? Well, I mean, because what else can he do at that point? He has to, you know, he, he can't say... Uh, I, I, I'm obviously not the captain of this ship in this universe. I mean, that would be, that would probably yeah. give it away. Yeah. So he's yeah. counting on Burnham being Burnham, especially since they know they went out and got the computer core from the rebel right. ship. Mm-hmm. Basically, they got this, this giant hard drive from the yes. Klingon ship. Yes. Yeah. Also, so, well, something I was confused about that may be a writing slip, although I haven't gone back and checked the previous episode, but. So in the previous episode, they did this massive number of jumps around the Klingon ship of the dead mm-hmm. that allowed them to crack the Klingon cloaking system. And so they developed this algorithm that cracks the cloaks and used it to destroy the ship of the dead. And I was real sure I remembered at the end of the previous episode, after they've won the battle, they're talking to like, they've just talked to a Starfleet admiral or something, and they're commenting, or, or after that scene, they're commenting that the algorithm has been transmitted or sent back to Starfleet for analysis or something like that. Mm. Hmm. They've made some kind of arrangement for their new discovery to be used to win the Klingon war. And that's, for example, why it's okay for them to just fly back at normal warp to the star base they were going to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And at the beginning of this episode, they're saying the algorithm can't, so now that we know we're in another universe, we can't send the algorithm back. And so that creates a kind of ticking clock sort of thing, you know, dramatic pressure yeah. to get them back home to win the war now that they have a key to winning it. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. Tr- I'm quickly trying to scan the the transcript from the previous episode, mm-hmm. and I'm not seeing. Yeah, I could be mistaken. On the other hand, it's definitely not the only. If if it is a slip, it's definitely not the only one in this. Because there is a moment later in the episode where they're talking to the shit. I found it. The Admiral Admiral Terrell. Oh well, Lorca says. Well, so this is the. I think that the trick. Lorca says the cloak breaking algorithm is being refined for fleet wide use as we speak and will be transmitted on a secure channel to you in just under uh, eleven hours. Okay. So apparently so it has they not yet before. been. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, they still did make mistakes because later they're talking to the Shinzo. And Burnham, we learn, is the captain of the Shinzo in this universe. And since she's her character has gone missing, the second in command is now Connor. acting captain yeah. on the ship. And she's demanding that he come to meet her mm-hmm. and, on the Discovery. Right. And so he, he says to her, after she's, you know, really machoed him into, you better come here, mister, he's like, we will alter course of the discovery at once and prepare for your arrival. It's like, I'm sorry, I think you've just forgotten what ship you're on. You're yeah. going to alter the course of the Shinzo. Oh, did and they? Pre- and prepare for my Yes, I went <laughs> I rewatched it because he clearly says the name of the wrong ship and somehow they they let it get through and didn't loop the dialogue. Cuz the funny. the transcript says we will alter course to the discovery at once. So oh, maybe, I got of the discovery. Okay. Well, well yeah. the the person who did the transcript may have corrected, corrected it, yeah. He, well, yeah, yeah, corrected yeah. what he said to make it make sense. So yeah, that's possible. <laughs> that's that's yeah. funny. So uh, one one of the things I want to mention about those micro jumps, the hundred thirty three micro jumps, Saru almost figures it out. He says, "Wow, that was really a convenient coincidence that yeah. all those micro jumps led to." That's you know ending up here, and Lorca like shuts him down. He's like, yeah, well, we'll have to figure out why why that happened after we get back. Blah blah blah. You know that he's he yeah. really shuts down that line of inquiry. And as we talked about at the end of last episode, this it's it actually kind of was a coincidence. I mean, he yes, he was using the hundred thirty micro jumps to figure out how to map the mycelial network back to the mirror universe, but he didn't plan on coming back this soon. Right. Yeah, it was only because Stamets was going to quit Starfleet after one more jump that he was forced to do this now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other thing they re- they, they uh, reveal is that they've discovered, or uh, although uh, he apparently knew Lorca knew all along, that the mycelial mycelial network spans all quantum realities. So it's not just flying around through our universe, but it flies around through uh, all universes, all possible universes, apparently. Yeah. Uh, um, mm. Lorca also deflects uh, Burnham's desire to examine the navigational records to figure out what happened, because that would expose <laughs> his tampering. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Stamets is in a near catatonic state. He's sort of babbling about things, and his eyes are whited over, except when a couple moments when they uh, go, become <sighs> normal. And what's up with that? I mean, physiologically, what is up with that? Is he like growing a membrane, and then when he gets his mind the me- back, the membrane dissolves, and then as soon as he goes yeah. nuts again, he regrows the membrane. It's you yeah, know, it's instant instant cataracts. It's, yeah, yeah it, exactly. And and uh, like meta cataracts because it's not ju- it it's all over his iris. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a strange. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not sure what I they're mean, trying it, to it, say with that. Well, it, it's obvious, you know, kind of showing him 
almost phasing out of reality is what I think what they're trying to, you know, that he's so trapped in the mycelial network that he's just not, there's nobody home. Yeah. The lights are why, on, but no one's home. Why can't they just rely on the actor to be a good actor? And just like, yeah. this is when he's catatonic and out of it. And now he's there again. Like a good actor can do that. They, you don't need to have the fake eye thing, but maybe, yeah. maybe the actor's not that great or I don't know. I think he's fine. If they, if they leave it alone, I could, I could kind of accept it, but it's the fact it comes and goes with his mental state. <laughs> right. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Because then I want to, okay, so how is his mental state going to affect this? That we also, another part of this is, is Ash Tyler. He's, he's losing it, right? He's, yeah. He's had this <laughs> encounter with Laurel in the last episode, and he's hit the, the Vok personality is trying to reemerge, and something has gone wrong. He confronts, he has like a PTSD flashback situation in the worker bee that almost ends in disaster. That, that's when he's getting getting the Klingon hard drive. Yes. Yep. And Burnham lets her emotions get in the way, like her emotional attachment get in the way of professionalism. Like if you your head of security is not all there and he's going to get everyone killed if if you let him you know, if you let him continue doing this job that he's obviously medically not capable of doing. Something is wrong. Uh, so that's that. So that's a problem. Then he he gets back and confronts Laurel in the brig, and she recites this Vulcan oh, no, prayer. No, no. But first, though, okay. First, first, though, he he's like demanding to know what she did to him. Yes, and it's like, well, we did it together, and it's like, well, tell me about it, and well, just open the cell, and I'll tell you everything you want to know. It's like. You really expect me to fall for that? <laughs> I was born well, at night, but not last did. night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the but he does. He opens the cell, and she comes out, and she's, like, going to kiss him, and he starts to strangle her. And then she starts saying this Klingon prayer that's meant to make his Valk personality reemerge. Right. Mm -hmm. And for a minute, for a second, he's Valk. Like, you hear the voice, which... When we all first saw that, we're like, whoa, you know, like that's yeah. Valk the, coming out of him. How is that possible? Uh, I and think I knew, but I think we, whatever. Yeah, I think we were guessing uh, ahead of time that, that, that he was Valk. Uh, but then he's Tyler again, and something's obviously gone wrong from Laurel's point of view. Like, that, that's, that should have worked. Why are you not Valk yet? Yeah, you know, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So something has gone wrong okay, with their plan. Okay, what's the first thing you do? Unplug and reboot. Yeah. <laughs> so say the prayer again. The, the, dual, the dual boot didn't work right the first time, so reboot the system. <laughs> Control-Alt-Delete on Tyler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so th then, yeah, he, so he can and eventually convinces Burnham that he, he, she, he can handle his flashbacks and she needs to cover for him, and that will cost you his life, you know, Culber his life well which, for a while for for a while apparently uh, i want to mention this a, a little bit his culber's death was always intended not to be permanent mm -hmm. not a surprise the actor didn't know from the beginning that that his character was going to die but he talked because he, he talks about in some of the behind the scenes stuff about how he, they told him and how you know he wasn't happy but he was willing to go along with it but they also told him it was not going to be permanent they were intent on him not dying as some hapless victim but he died because he was smart and figured it out. Like, you, you mm -hmm. know, the, too often, I didn't, there are a couple of times where in Star Trek characters, like, let's say Tasha Yar, dies just because she's in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, it's, it's, you know her, the death is meaningless and pointless. Whereas right. this, he dies because he figures it out, because he's smart. Right, right. Yeah, so, and he, he's smart enough not to, not to come out and directly say, you're a Klingon spy. 
Yes, mm-hmm. but he's he he's pushed on. Well, why can't I go on this mission? It's because and he gets as close as saying, because as far as I'm concerned, you're not you're not you now. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's not smart enough to have done this in front of other people who could restrain the Klingon spy. Yeah, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> or do something silly like put up a force shield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll put you up know. a shield or carry a phaser. Yeah, something like that. So they do figure out from the computer core that they're, it's, that they're in a mirror universe, that they've swapped places with their mirror discovery. Although... Do we ever follow up on that? That's no. the thing is, I don't, I don't remember the, uh, what with, with that. Because that's the original mirror universe episode with, with Kirk and et, et al. That's what happens. They swapped with them and then we get a little bit of uh, oh, we knew immediately that they weren't you, you know, from Spock, because they acted weirder off the bat. Yeah, but here it's whole whole ships Yeah, that have ostensibly been swapped. Yeah. And I don't, re- I mean, maybe it's there and I've just forgotten it, but yeah. I don't yeah. recall, oh yeah, we had this totally rogue discovery that came in and won the Klingon <laughs> war for us. They were so vicious. <laughs> then they started yeah. shooting the, uh, the Starfleet ships. Yeah. So... So Tilly has to like. So we have her first performance as captain, which is 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 as amusing as you expect her to be. Oh, yeah. uh, I like the the mirror universe makeover. You know, uh, yes, mini episode within this one. Yep. The montage where they have to transform the ship and crew. Uh, and yeah. I I also like, but in that scene where Tilly is the first time she's pretending to be captain, they need the Lorca to come in and say something that Tilly doesn't know. So he has to disguise his voice. And so what is he? Yeah. Scottish engineer. (laughs) He's a Scottish engineer. Uh, I guess uh, from what I understand from behind the scenes stuff, uh, the actor, uh, Isaac. um, Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs. I I almost said Oscar Isaac. Jason Isaacs uh, had done a show where he had a Scottish accent. And so one Mm. of the producers chose the Scottish accent because they knew he could do it. And, you know, Scotty. Because all good engineers are Scottish. I wonder if it's even broader than that, because in the Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell novel, The Moat in God's Eye, which Uh is not set in the Star Trek universe, it is set, you know, a thousand years from now. It's around the year 3000. And and we've colonized different planets and and they frequently have cultures based on what original nation the colony came from. Mm hmm. And like all of the engineers are Scottish, <laughs> and yeah. and I don't know if that's a tribute. I mean, they're like from New Scotland, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and I I don't know if that was a tribute to Scotty or I, if it, sure if there's some broader some broader Scottish engineer thing. <laughs> now, now the be. funny part is you look at a lot of the uh, like the railroad barons or the the, the engineers yeah. who develop railroads. In the UK, and a lot of them were from Scotland. Yeah, yeah, probably probably because of the coal uh, mining. Well, maybe, yeah. well, maybe not. That, that's probably a, a stretch. There is a scene where Lorca and Burnham are in the ready room, and they're talking about destiny, and that yeah. the and it's interesting. Lorca kind of talks about how the existence of the mirror universe is an argument for destiny or for the existence of God. He they don't. He doesn't say he, that. He doesn't say God. But but mm-hmm. there's this implication that. Uh, the existence of a mirror universe implies a some larger force that controls things, uh, which Burnham doesn't go for. And it's not just the the existence of a mirror universe. It's the fi- the fact that this same small set of people end up finding each other. 
Yeah. And you're thinking about it from his perspective, given what we know by the end of the season. So he's from the Mirror Universe, and he knew Burnham on the in the Mirror Universe, and then he crossed over to the Prime Universe and found Burnham there by sort of happenstance. Right. And so he's marveling at how this he's been brought together with Burnham, who he needs for his evil plan. And so he's marveling at this destiny thing, and he's trying to covertly evangelize her to evil here. This is his <laughs> version of come on over to the dark side. It'll be so great. Yes. And he's trying to convince her we've got a destiny together, so you kind of will, like, it'll be a good thing if you help me with my evil plan. Mm. He's planting the seeds for that, and she's not buying it. And he's like, well, I mean, didn't you feel like, because being a mirror universe guy, he has dark ambitions. And so he assumes she does too, and says, well, come on, when you were in prison and you had this life of helplessness in front of you, didn't you just sense that there was something greater that, you know, you was there for you to do? Didn't you sense you had a destiny in spite of being in prison? And she says, well, destiny didn't get me out of prison. You did that. <laughs> and she almost yeah. puts it together in that moment. She's, right. He's almost overplayed his hand once again. I like it. Come to the dark side. We have cake pops. <laughs> uh, so they develop a plan. So they have to have a plan to get back. And they develop a plan that doesn't use the spore drive since Stamets is out of commission. Uh, and they've found from the computer core, the the MacGuffin computer core that is apparently has all kinds of information, in, luckily, that a Constitution class ship, that's the uh, the TOS Enterprise, Defiant, reached the mirror universe before them, although it came from a point f- uh, uh, forward of them in time. Yeah. So, so and we saw so we saw where it left from in the Tholian web in the yes. original series. Yes. And then we saw where it arrived in the Mirror Universe 100 years earlier in the fourth season of Star Trek Enterprise. Yes, uh, a, a, a two-parter called In a Mirror Darkly, which doesn't involve like the, any of our, the Enterprise crew actually traveling over. So they don't, it, we just see the Mirror Enterprise crew. We never have a crossover, interesting, which is interesting enough. We'll be that was that, that was yeah, that was kind of an interesting choice for it to, to not make the crossover between Prime and Mirror. Yeah. Made it a lot more fun. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Well, also yeah. Hoshi ends up being the Empress uh, <laughs> by the end of that, and yep. that'll Makes you we'll think. get we'll we'll get a name check later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So the idea is uh, they're going to figure out how Defiant did it by going by going over to the Shinzu and looking in the captain's only eyes uh, only files uh, that Burnham will have access to as captain of the Shinzu. Right, because they're looking at these dirty rebel scum hard drive. It's incomplete records, so they mm-hmm. need the they need the the private captain's private reserve records. Yep. Does anyone ever say rebel scum? And because someone, I kind of wish they so they had that in a line. <laughs> and then when they, before they beam over the Shenzhou, I have a bad feeling about this. That would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> There is a moment when Tyler is in sickbay the first time to ask Culbert to examine him for Klingon tampering, where Stamets does this waking up, eyes clearing, the enemy is here, and then fading away. So there's a they could have called this episode The Enemy Is Here, frankly. I think that would have been an mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm. title choice, yep. but maybe would have given too much away. But The Enemy Is Here is not really just uh, Tyler, you know, Vach Tyler. It's Lorca, too, right? 
there's a little I bit don't of no, not at this point. Uh, Lorca okay. hasn't done his full heel turn yet. Uh, yes, but if he's seeing the totality of things, maybe he's seeing that Lorca is does not have Discovery's, you know, best interest at heart. That he is kind of an enemy to the crew. I don't know. So I was kind of thinking that. I don't know. Maybe not. As Burnham in uh, is leaving with uh, Lorca and Tyler, Tilly is now left as the the captain, quote unquote. She, uh, although Saru is to anyone off the ship. Yes, yeah, Saru is really running the show, but she's having to kind of put on this Captain Killy persona that she's been given, and she does uh, really well with it. Actually, she, yeah, she is, there's a there's a line coming up that I really enjoy. But she Burnham has to assure Tilly, I've been trying to understand them better, the Terran Empire. Terran strength is born out of pure necessity because they live in constant fear, always looking for the ne- next knife aimed at their back. Their strength is painted rust, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a facade. Mm-hmm. But you have the strength of an entire crew that believes in you. Fortify yourself with our faith in you. That's what a real captain does. So there's mm-hmm. this interesting insight into the the flaw of the Terrans is that mm-hmm. their their strength is based on fear. That's right. a very Star Trek concept. Yeah, and I'd love to see the Mirror Universe critique of the Prime Universe philosophy, because I think it <laughs> has some holes in it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's right. You never paint over rust. That's only going to lead to problems. You always get out the wire brushes and whisk off all of yep. the rust before yes. you do the painting. Make sure you got bare metal first. I, I do I do like I do like uh, Tilly, though, when she first has to you know do the just the, the voice only. What the heck? What the heck are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. just stammering and <laughs> yes. which is a li- and she initially says heck before she turns to saying hell. Yep. Yes. And and that's meant to show her uncomfortableness with this role and then progression towards it. Mm-hmm. But it's also out of character because Tilly's had no problem dropping the f bomb in the past. Right. Yes. So and under pressure. Well, and then when we do encounter, she has to do her first full on Captain Killy. To the mirror, Captain Connor of the Shinzu, um, she says, "Is that how you treat your long lost captain? If you greeted me that way, Connor, I'd cut out your tongue and use it to lick my boots." I'm like, "Go, Tilly." That's a great line. <laughs> that was a that was a great line. She throughout this this whole second part of the, the season where she has to play this character, she does it so well. It is it, you, it, you know it had so to be fun. fun for the actress to play yes. that role. To play well, she's like it's a layer. Like she's got to be Tilly underneath with Killy on top, you know the the uh, of the of the of the character. So yeah, I mean this is an example of why it's great to have this mirror part now because we know Tilly so well after after nine episodes. Then to have this piled on top of that, it makes it even more fun. So yeah, I really do yep. enjoy that. Speaking of personalities being overlaid on top of other personalities, <laughs> yes. we have. <laughs> We have this thing going on with Ash now that his Valk personality has failed to reemerge and he's mm-hmm. freaked out and trying to figure out what's going on. And in his initial discussion with Dr. Culber, yep. he's, he's like, I, before I go on this mission where I'm going to be a bodyguard, I want you to check me out to make sure Klingons didn't do anything to me that I don't know about. And mm-hmm. he's so insistent about this that Culber starts to get suspicious. Right. And like, what do you what are you imagining they did to you? Yep. And he points out that you've had all of these different tests. I mean, we did these fMRI scans essentially that showed mm-hmm. you had some damage from your torture, and we did the Manchurian test, which is a great 
allusion to the yep. film The Manchurian yeah. Candidate, which is yeah. about implanting a personality in someone that then activates and causes them to perform an illicit mission. Classic movie with Angela Lansbury, very well worth watching. Right. Mm. And so we did the Manchurian test looking for any buried personality in you, and we didn't find it. And, you know, there's no deeper personality buried. So what they then come back and do is after he's had a chance to run more refined tests. Oh, by the way, he also he's not always the sharpest surgical scalpel in the drawer because <laughs> yes. he, he says to him, well, like, what kind of symptoms have you been having? And he rattles off like three or four. And then if he says, if you've had any, because if you've had any of those, I can't let you go on this mission. Well, great. You just disincentivized him yep. from being honest with you. <laughs> right, right. Be, show a little cunning here. Get his symptoms out of him first and then tell him he can't go. Yes. Yep. But then when he, he comes back, he discovers that with the more refined test, which and this is a little unbelievable that they wouldn't have caught the fact he's got Klingon DNA. Right. And all of his organs have been readjusted, and there's got to be th- I mean, this human makeover thing that could pass a medical test is nonsense. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a- a- getting away with aping an exterior appearance is one thing, but fooling medical probes is is a- completely another thing. But giving them that, yep. he discovers that they've they've literally messed with his skeleton. They've, like, shortened his bones. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. And he then, that has caused Hugh to revisit the the results of the Manchurian test, because it's designed to look for a buried personality that opportunistically would emerge over the prime personality. Yes. And he says there's been some theoretical work that you could do the reverse, that you could have, you could embed this, uh, you could put another personality on top of the prime personality. And so the Manchurian test, which is designed to look at the deeper personality, Mm -hmm. would see, oh, well, this looks like a normal, healthy, natural personality under here. Because it is. It's the natural one. Right. And the opportunistic, and what you don't realize is the opportunistic personality is the one that's actually in charge. And so that it, 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 sort of works here. It works well enough that I, that it's sort of clever as to how he could pass this right. kind of psychological test. Yeah. And, and the, the, yeah, Culber is smart enough to figure it out, but not smart enough to not get killed. <laughs> yeah. Because in, in this revealing is, it. as he's explaining this, that's when he gets killed. Yeah. Yep. I do also like that when he, that he makes a reference in the first time where he says what the, it, it's uh, detecting what used to be called brainwashing, which I like the fact because there is, we, we don't call it brainwashing anymore, like people being brainwashed. Is, we don't? Is, mm-hmm. Uh, what do we call it? Uh, well, he says the installation of commands underneath the function conscious. I no, thought that that's br- brainwashing. Trek. Okay, well, I thought but brainwashing it, was a myth that that you, well, you it couldn't is, really be brainwashed. People still talk about it and believe in it. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like that, that there isn't there isn't really a such a thing as brainwashing. Well, don't, but don't yeah. you know that the, right? you know this particular news channel or that particular news channel is doing it to us today? <laughs> so I mean, right, right, yes. Uh, Facebook brainwashes you too. So don't watch, don't don't look at Facebook. Uh, sorry, it's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother discussion. Different show. So, on the Shenzhou, Burnham shows up. She ends up having to kill Connor in the, his his name is not Sarah, uh, kill yeah. him in, in the turbo lift when he tries to kill her. 
yeah, this is a nice elevator fight because they're trapped yep. in the turbo lift. And mm-hmm. so you've got both of them in a confined space and they're using that to their advantage. Yes. Also, she either like kills the the gravity at one point or causes the 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 tube to rapidly descend so they're flung up to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Momentarily. And it's nicely choreographed. Yeah. The the it's also set up well. She has because she knows this guy from the prime universe. He was her like he was ops officer, officer or something. Yeah. Ops officer. Yeah. On the Shinzo, and now she's killing a version of him, and she has genuine horror on her face as she does so. Right. But she just she's taken his dagger and stabbed him in the stomach. Yep. Now, right. if I was there and I knew my survival depended and and the survival of everybody on the discovery depends on me succeeding in this mission and I I have to kill this guy there's no other mm-hmm. choice. I'm not going to stop with having stabbed him in the stomach. Yeah. Because <laughs> a stomach wound is easily repairable with their technology and does not lead to immediate death. It takes a long time to bleed out from a stomach wound. Yep. So I'm taking the dagger out of his stomach and plunging it straight into his heart or slitting his neck. Yep. Yeah. This is just not an efficient way to kill people. Right. So I didn't like that. But I did then like how the elevator door opens and he falls out and they're on the bridge and the whole bridge crew, crew applauds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Apparently, Connor was not popular. Let's just yeah. put it that way. <laughs> uh, so there's a scene where they have to put Lorca in the brig as the criminal he is uh but we get to see the agonizer booths again from the mm-hmm. T- oh, when they originated in TOS with, with upgraded special effects yes yep. yes and uh, Lorica he doesn't want her to give him special treatment don't put me in the in the regular brig make sure let them put me in the agonizer cuz that's what you would do mm-hmm. and I, I can't imagine like at the end of this episode he's in there and he's you know yeah. while Burnham and Tyler are having a nice time in in her quarters he's <laughs> in agony in yeah. the agonizer booth well, the, to me, this was kind of one of the best and worst things about the episode. Mm-hmm. Initially, we go into the brig and we see the people being tortured, and they have this kind of sort of electrical effect mm-hmm. as they're screaming in the agonizer booze, and we see what looks like sort of electricity torturing them on their bodies. Yeah. And this shows us, the audience, even though we don't know that Lorca is from the Mirror Universe at this point. He knows he's about to be experiencing that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he you're right, he signals Burnham, do not get me out of this. Right. He so he's willing, whether he's good Lorca or bad Lorca, he's he knows what's about to happen to him and he accepts it. Yeah. And that is really going a long way for you know, for him as a character. But then at the end of the episode, after we've had Burnham successfully taking control of the bridge. She comes back to her quarters, and Ash Tyler Puppy Dog is there, mm-hmm. and he he she, he says, "Have you been able to get into the files yet?" And she's like, "No, everyone's been following me around and trying to curry favor with me and stuff like that, and I didn't want to raise suspicions." Okay, so why aren't you accessing them right now from your quarters or <laughs> trying right. to? Right, and instead we have this weird. I love you deliver from Ash delivered as I've got your back no matter what else happens and 
how right. either of us changes in this universe, which is like <laughs> the creepiest thing to say as a as a <laughs> as an affirmation of loving someone. And she says, I, I know what you mean, and I'm saying the same thing back to you. And then they start kissing, and we have this, guys, your captain is being tortured right now with electricity, and you both saw it. Start looking up the files and leave the romance till you get back, okay? <laughs> and in fact, it's not going to, they, they're like, like in the uh, was the previews for the, for the following episodes, we know, they're they're having their romance. They're on a they're on a honeymoon cruise or something like that. It's like, yeah. no, you're in the you're in the middle of the enemy. Get the information. Get out. Destroy the ship. Get back to your universe. Like, yeah, it it, it that part. Just have a hard time with that part. It's just, ugh. come well, on. We, guys. Had, we got to have the sexy time. You know, if you don't have that, it's just what's the use doing the show? <laughs> right, right. If Kirk can do it. <laughs> Uh, so yeah kirk wasn't um, doing it when spock was in an agonizer booth being tortured with electricity <laughs> that's right yeah <laughs> and just to make sure we the audience get the point they cut from them having the sexy time to Lorca screaming in the electrical booth mm-hmm. it's like they want us to not like burnham and, and tyler <laughs> you know it's like uh guys uh, yes yeah, it's that's the funny thing is they they, <laughs> they they actually point it out to us so uh that's where we end this episode uh any last thoughts father cory nothing here jimmy don't have any despite myself <laughs> so don't despise yourself because you despite yourself all right we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to c- create the secrets of star trek including chuck c donald s christina h patrick r and gpp their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Discovery episode, despite yourself? The the title is despite... Never mind. So let us know by (laughs) commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, The Conscience of the King. I'm looking forward to that. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and long live the Empire. Long live the Empire! <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, we're Terrans. Decency is weakness. <laughs> <laughs>